Well, thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue. This is Benjamin Mushatama, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and you're listening to us on uh, DSTV 902. Thank you for listening to us. We're also on shortwave, and also you can listen to us on the Internet. Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, the United States, looking at uh, really uh, uh, training African police uh, to deal with uh, the terrorism problem on the continent. But before we get into that, let's get our news from and Musa. In the headlines, East African community leaders to decide on the admission of four countries into the regional body. Turkey offers to help West Africa fight terrorism. And Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump score major victories on America's Super Tuesday. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Heads of state from the five-nation East African community are meeting in the northern Tanzanian town of Arusha to decide on the admission of four countries into the regional body. The EAC has five member countries, Tanzania, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi and Kenya. Uganda's Minister of East African Community Affairs, Shemba Gere, names some of the new countries that have applied to become members of the regional body. have received applications from South Sudan and Somalia, but we have to go through a process of verification to ensure that they meet the criteria that we have set for anyone to join the community. We have issues like um, country to be admitted into the community must have uh, geographical proximity to one of the partner states. It must have uh, good governance and um, respect for human rights and also it must have uh, economic uh, programs that are in consonance with what we have. The hearing into South Africa's opposition, the DA's application for the court to review the decision to drop corruption charges against the country's president, Jacob Zuma, has resumed in the High Court in Pretoria. National Prosecuting Authority Counsel Hilton Epstein is currently leading evidence. The party wants the charges to be reinstated. On Tuesday, it argued that the decision to drop the charges by the then head of the prosecuting authority, Mukutedi Mshe, based on the conversations, was irrational. But the prosecuting authority disagreed, arguing that former boss of the lead boss uh, police unit, the Scorpions, Leonard McCarthy, politically interfered with the process. Turkey has offered to help West Africa fight terrorism, addressing members of Ghana's parliament during a two-day visit to Accra. President Tayyip Erdogan said Turkey was well-placed to help African countries combat terrorism. At least 28 people from 12 countries were killed in January when Islamist jihadists attacked a hotel and a restaurant in Burkina Faso's capital, Ouagadougou. The attacks followed a similar raid on a luxury hotel in Mali's capital, Bamako, in November last year, which left 20 people dead. Republican Donald Trump and Democrat Hillary Clinton took big steps towards securing their party's presidential nominations in America. 
with a series of state-by-state victories. Exit polls indicate that the Trump and Clinton of the Democrats have taken a clear lead in their respective contests. U.S. networks project that Trump won six in Clinton's seven states. Super Tuesday is the biggest single day of state-by-state contests to select party nominees for the November 8 election to succeed Democratic President Barack Obama. And finally, peace talks aimed at ending the conflict in Syria will resume next week. The UN-sponsored negotiations, which began in early February in Geneva, were suspended days later. The process saw members of the Syrian government and opposition holding so-called proximity talks with the envoy, Stefan de Mistura, meaning that they held separate meetings with him. More than 250,000 people have been killed in the Syrian conflict, which is entering its sixth year. Recapping the top stories, East African community leaders to decide on the admission of four countries into the regional body. Turkey offers to help West Africa fight terrorism. And Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump score major victories on America's Super Tuesday. Hello listener, join Channel Africa in celebrating its 50th anniversary. Channel Africa is turning 50 in May this year. Join us as we move through memories of this station since 1966. Send us your contact number to include your memories in our celebrations. Email your contact to info at channelafrica.org or write to us at Channel Africa PO Box 913-103 Auckland Park, Johannesburg 2006. You can also SMS to plus 27-822-325905. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Thank you. Remember that uh, you can actually listen to us uh, online on www.channelafrica.co.za. And you can also uh, actually find us on DSTV. We're on Channel 902. That's the audio bouquet. And uh, we're also on shortwave into the continent of Africa on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Well, there is a report going around that's stating that the USA is proposing a $200 million uh, uh, grant in new military spending for North and West Africa, both the United States and also France, which has 3,500 uh, troops in the region. That's North and West Africa intend to boost uh, support to regional security body group of five Sahel diplomats. And this is, has been said by various officials. Now, it is speculated that the United States and Senegal has a 
agreed a new accord granting rights to establish a base there in case of emergency situations. So today we'll look at that issue and uh, look at how this particular issue would actually unfold itself on the continent. Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you think that we should actually have um, a superpower such as the United States training African police to deal with uh, the issue of terrorism? We know that it was a big uh, emergence, a new kind of uh, trend that we're seeing on the continent where this is becoming uh, a concern. So we've got Ibrahim Dean, who is a researcher at the Afro-Middle East Center to assist us on this and not necessarily to look at this particular proposal because it hasn't been confirmed. It's still hearsay, but we're interested in looking at terrorism in itself and how do you counter it? How do you deal with uh, police? How do you deal with military? And also just to unpack the situation on the continent. Ibrahim, thank you for giving us your time. Thanks for having me, Benjamin. Now, let's look at this particular issue of uh, uh, how do we enforce kind of a new way of actually training our military and police in dealing with terrorism? Because it is one of the concerns, especially in areas that you also look at, at. I know that you don't only focus on the entire uh, entire continent as an expert, but I know that you've got certain areas in the continent that you deal with. But in terms of us as a continent, in terms of our policing and our military seems that it seems to be something that we're struggling on. I think, I mean, the, the, your actual question points to the heart of the problem. It's this discourse around how we deal with terrorism, and specifically as you're talking about mili- militarization of the I think we need to start moving mm. away from militarization. Mm. And that's, you know, in many instances, for example, the U.S. African Command, and we're talking a lot about the U.S., in the year 2000, they basically said that you know, there was no real inter- uh, terrorist threat in the continent. Mm. 14 years, 16 years later, with all the, you know, the money they put in, the U.S. African Command, the basing agreements, yeah. you know, which we'll all get into later, they now say there's 50, uh, you know, terrorist groups in, in, in the continent. So obviously, this militaristic approach that we're using is is not actually working. In fact, it may be worsening the issues. So, I mean, I think we need to move away from that. We need to use, you know what they would term a more counter-insurgency approach as opposed to a counter-terrorist approach. Mm. Counter-insurgency would, you know, is mainly mainly aimed at the battle for hearts and minds. And how do you win hearts and minds? is by looking at what's the root causes of this. Mm. You know, the development, uh, uh, underdevelopment, uh, insecurity, the, mm. you know, lack of services. We need to start finding ways of, of, you know, of, of basically making development sure. more holistic. I mean, Africa is a mm. continent, you know, economically, GDP-wise, has grown over the past uh, decade and a half, uh, probably doubled our output. But this, this doubling of our output hasn't necessarily, you know, impacted the whole continent and, you know, all different sectors within countries equally. And we need to find ways of making this development more equal, making this development more holistic. I mean, mm. yes, there will always be, you know, elements... Uh, that may seek deeper stabilization. However, I think we need to start trying to deal with these through, you know, more legal surveillance means as opposed to more uh, security military means. Hmm. That's interesting that you bring that because when you say that, the first thing that came to my mind, Ibrahim, is the fact that what's really concerning about some of the problems when it comes to um, terrorism on the continent is they come back to the issue of uh, suspicion and also historical arrivals that need to be challenged. And it comes back to dealing with those socioeconomic uh, dimensions you were highlighting. 
Yes, I mean, I do think so. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the, the, when, we, when we're looking at, especially, uh, you know, based on the U.S. The US uh, information provided by the U.S. AFRICOM, it's actually showing that, you know, that their motive and the, the security military motive that, that many are using is not actually, you know, working and actually has ulterior motives, you know. Uh, and that this militarization is actually, in a sense, being used to securitize the African state. And this is causing the issue, you know, this 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 this, uh, this ability now of state to actually undermine democratic processes by just labeling groups counter, uh, you know, labeling groups rebel organizations. We're seeing what's happening in Burundi now. We're seeing, you know, where 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 you know where the president is is is, is going on or trying to um, uh, secure third term mm, or just mm. has secured the third term, sure. even though you know he's overstepped his constitutional mm. mark. And then we wonder five, ten years later, why is there insurgent problem or why is there a rebellion problem? And you know we decide, oh, okay, we need to militarize this problem and we need to deal with security. When in actual fact, the problem was caused by political grievances. Well, we are speaking to Ibrahim Dean, researcher at the Africa Middle East Center, looking at is it required for us to get more military assistance from uh, the United States or also coming out from outside Africa? We know that uh, it is intended to boost some of the security groups in five Sahel areas and also uh, the issue of North and West Africa. And uh, this training, is it required? Is it really what we need as a continent? More weapons, more more military, or should we deal with those socioeconomic issues and infrastructural development issues that were dealt there by Ibrahim? Give us your thoughts on this conversation. We want to hear from you, so you can SMS us on uh, plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. We know that security experts report a growing sophistication since last year in the tactics and weaponry used by uh, uh, terrorist groups such as AQUIM, and they say that uh, this is uh, also seeing a, a kind of a competition within already the terrorist groups themselves. So how do we actually as a continent adjust to that notion? Give us your thoughts. It's a complicated situation on the continent. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Don't forget that you can also interact with us on Twitter at African Dialogue. Let's take a quick break. We'll continue with Ibrahim and uh, unpack this uh, subject. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. My body has frozen in our frosts and in our latter-day snows. It has thawed in the warmth of our sunshine and melted in the heat of the midday sun. The crack and the rumble of the summer thunders, lashed by startling lightning, have been a cause both of trembling and of hope. The fragrances of nature have been as pleasant to us as the sight of the wild blooms of the citizens of the felt. The dramatic shapes of the dragon's back, the soil-colored waters of the Likwa, Ikreli, Lotugel, and the sands of the Kharahad, have all been panels of the set on the natural stage on which we act out the foolish deeds of the theater of the day. Hello, listener. 
Join Channel Africa in celebrating its 50th anniversary. Channel Africa is turning 50 in May this year. Join us as we move through memories of this station since 1966. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, today we're looking at uh, the issue of security on the continent of Africa and really looking at the United States training African police to deal with uh, this terrorism group. Is this what we really need as a continent? No, Washington has proposed $200 million in new military spending in North and West Africa. And very interesting views that uh, Ibrahim Dean brought there, the researcher from the Afro-Middle East Center, saying, hey, we need to demilitarize the issue and also start dealing with the infrastructural social issues before we actually do these big uh, projects that you know, there's a lot of investment in terms of money and look at really the roots of some of the conflicts that we're seeing when it comes to terrorism. We're also joined now by Dr. Sylvester Maposa, who's a chief research specialist at the HSRC, who's also going to give us his time. But let me uh, continue with this uh, uh, with you, Ibrahim, before we move on to the doctor. In terms of, uh, you know, security experts reporting a growing sophistication and also uh, really technological advancement when it comes to tactics and weaponry used by terrorist groups. Is it not good that we're seeing advanced economies such as the U.S. coming into Africa to really help us in terms of that security support and maybe advance our military uh, technologies? I mean, I think, yes, you know, it, 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 we have to admit and acknowledge the fact that there is an increasing sophistication in uh, in in the means that uh, you know militant organisations are using. Uh, I mean, just like everyone else, they've also evolved, you know, with uh, the technological advancements. And and yes, you know, I mean, to an extent, uh, you know, uh, any ways or means or you know methods of of, of easier, you know, better dealing with this is, is uh, you know, would should be acknowledged or should be encouraged. However, you know, in looking at these means, we need to try and figure out which means, uh, you know, would comply, one, with, uh, you know, the, the already uh, existent legal frameworks. We, we shouldn't be trying to, to um, institute new legal frameworks to try and deal with these issues. We also need to, to try and work on, on issues or, or in such a way that we use as little military might as possible. So, you know, in terms of the U.S. assistance, if it were in the field of surveillance and uh, specifically only surveillance and, you know, uh, law monitoring, it would be very welcome. And lastly, you know, mm. when looking at external powers uh, interventions in the region, we need to also um, look at their motives, you know. Yeah. For example, the, the biggest the biggest issue in U.S. Uh, you know uh, U.S. Uh, um, reasons or motivations for interacting or you know uh, um, intervening in Africa or you know U.S. interest in Africa is actually because the country gets 25 percent of its oil from you know the Gulf of Guinea, and it's also very fearful of Chinese competition in, in, in on the African continent. So we need to acknowledge that you know these motives, what the U.S. says, are not necessarily the true motives behind the, mm. uh, you know, the, the, their promises. Mm. And when we, you know, more informed, we can try and take steps to try and look at the advantages and, you know, 
mitigate some of the disadvantages uh, of these, uh, you know, these moves. Mm, Let me move on to you, Dr. Sylvester Maposa. Thank you for giving us your time in your busy schedule. Just looking at an overall picture of the security on the continent when it comes to terrorism, uh, what are your thoughts around some of those uh, concerns that were brought by Ibrahim, talking about, you know, let's work on surveillance, let's work on uh, really monitoring situations before we really put an emphasis of militarization. Your thoughts on that? Uh, thank you, and uh, good morning to all the listeners. Uh, the problem of terrorism on the African continent is a complex uh, problem, inasmuch as it is complex throughout the global uh, environment. Uh, particularly in Africa, we are vulnerable indeed uh, to terrorist attacks, as we have seen happening elsewhere. But certainly, uh, the solutions to the problems are therefore also multidirectional and they need complex strategic uh, focusing. Mm, mm, mm. And uh, these likely will need to deal with issues of, uh, uh, of power, mm. issues of poverty, uh, and issues of uh, human security. Mm. And, and also in terms of uh, the, the change of dynamics that terrorism brings, uh, you know, in terms of that sophistication that I was highlighting earlier on, I'm sure it makes life very difficult because we already have those challenges, infrastructural challenges. Now, when you have this issue of terrorism, you know, in its sophistication, adding to the burdens of developing countries on the continent, I'm sure it makes the security issue even more complex, uh, Doctor. Indeed, uh, the security issue becomes complex and uh, sophisticated in that it demands uh, a transdisciplinary approach. There is no single path, there is no single strategy that can address this problem. Uh, What it means is we need a concerted effort around issues of education, economy, democracy, governance, environmental protection, uh, and issues of building inclusive uh, politics uh, uh, mm. and the development practices. Mm. Well, very interesting. I- Ibrahim, your thoughts on that? Uh, it seems like there's a different approach in terms of that should be actually dealt with in terms instead of this one-dimensional that uh, policing and, and militarization is the key. And I, I think uh, Dr. Maposa is emphasizing some of your concerns. Yes, I totally agree with the doctor on this, that you know, we're already talking about Africa as being an underdeveloped continent, and we're taking then our funds and our finances and just putting it away from where we should be putting it to deal with Africa's underdevelopment, to deal with human security issues, and we're actually just, you know, putting it in military uh, means and security means, and that's actually, you know, it worsens the situation. It allows for entrenched uh, um, dictatorship. It, you know, uh, allows for abuses of legal and human rights, and, you know, that we, we need to start looking at a more holistic strategy. You know, in, in South Africa, for example, there was the issue a few years ago, you know, specifically talking about militancy, about about uh, people against gangsters and drugs, Pagat, which was a, you know, vigilante organization. And the South African government, what they did was to deal with it is they, they, never, they did not try to militarize the situation, but used already existent legal means, mm. surveillance, and the organization has largely been crippled. Uh, as opposed to were they to, you know, enact in, in, in new laws, um, you know, militarize the situation, it could have just spiraled it and actually made 
you know, the organization gain recruit. Some some of these militant organizations do carry out these activities, you know, and hoping, mm. especially in the cases of ISIS, hoping that the state response is militaristic because ISIS sees itself as, you know, as forming as this binary. And if the, the, the state response is in this binary, uh, it's either us or, you know, you with us or against us, it kind of actually helps ISIS recruitment strategy. So we need to, we need to look at, one, what, you know, what is best for Africans, two, what would, you know, better undermine these, these uh, militant organizations, what are they seeking, you know, by carrying out these attacks, and basically mm. have a response that's more holistic in nature. I mean, yes, there will be instances where uh, uh, you may need to use, uh, you know, more, uh, more uh, you know, means that are more than just legal uh, means. But these need to be as little as possible, as you know, as least as possible, and it needs to be the end and the last mean possible. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily how we're currently doing it now, where we, you know, where we where we're using military means before we even trying legal avenues, before we even 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 on you know developmental avenues, mm-hmm. before we even trying mm-hmm. legal avenues. For mm-hmm. example, Boko Haram. Boko Haram started off as a largely non-violent movement aimed at corruption in in, in you know northern Nigeria. And what happened was after 2009, uh, basically the group was cracked down on, uh, you know, uh, hundreds were arrested. You know, the leader was summarily executed mm. by the Nigerian government. And what, what did happen to the group? It mutated into what it is today. Sure. And had we responded in a manner looking at, you know, the development aspects in northern Nigeria or the corruption aspects in northern Nigeria, we could have actually won inhibited the group from, uh, you know, from gaining supporters, but two, we may have even actually be able to, uh, you know, maneuver the group or influence the group to a path that is more uh, within the, you know, Nigerian political institutionalization. Mm. Well, also, let's look at the fact that terrorism now is a complex reality in the continent and look at um, how we actually deal with it. You know, this approach is very interesting because what we have read is that there is um, an emphasis on training police instead of the army. Um, let me come to you, Dr. Sylvester Maposa. Would that be key if that strategy was taken? Because when you look at how uh, the nature of um, terrorist attacks, they're really more communal. They focus on uh, vulnerable areas. So would you think training police would be a better approach than the militarization approach? Yes, um, one thing that I must underscore first is that context vary, and so strategies that we design mm. or that are designed for different contexts must be tailored to suit the, 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 the needs of that context. Okay. And in this case, training the police, uh, for me, it is very crucial because the police need to have the abilities to identify would-be terrorists amongst the the communities. The military is largely absent in our hour-to-hour living communities, but the police are what we see in our presence, and the police visibility uh, improves our community security uh, sense. Mm. And so if the police have got more skills to identify these people amongst uh, 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 our communities at marketplaces, at bus terminals, uh, those busy places of urban environments, the police need to have skills to identify people who uh, 
uh, has potential threat to the majority of the. So for me, training the police is indeed um, a positive way, but it is not the only way. Mm. Uh, we should also be investing in other um, um, ways of addressing this problem. Mm. Your thoughts on that emphasis on the policing, Ibrahim? I mean, I think, as, 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 as Dr. said, it's mm. better than training the military. I think we do need to, however, you know, if we train the, the police, we need to work on mechanisms to strengthen oversight because many of these Arab Spring regimes, for example, your Ben Ali in Tunisia, your, you know, the current, are actually regimes built on the police, the interior ministry, you know, and built on uh, protecting a dictator through curbing, curbing any, you know, opposition, political opposition by using the police mm. and not necessarily only by using the military. So, you know, while training the, the police is a good, is, is a better suggestion uh, and, and a better means, and, you know, hopefully because police possess less armament, it would, it would it, it's a less militaristic, uh, you know, approach, we need to in turn or at the same time uh, increase oversight mechanisms. We need to, you know, empower civil society mm. so that we ensure that while, you know, you're trying to uh, crack down on militancy, that, that the boundary does, uh, isn't overstepped and that, you know, this crackdown is not just broader than mili- militancy and it's actually cracking down on any form of dissent within the state. So it, it, it's positive, but there's, there's other methods and there's also, uh, you know, protections that we need to seek while empowering, uh, you know, law enforcement, mm. uh, specifically the police. Mm. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue, where we zoom into the big subjects of the continent from Monday to Thursday. Today, we're looking at terrorism and this proposal by Washington of $200 million in new military spending for North and West Africa. And we've got our guest, Ibrahim Dean, the researcher of the Afro-Middle East Center, as well as Dr. Sylvester Mapos. So who's the chief research specialist in the governance and security program in the HSRC. Let's take a quick break and then we're going to wrap it up when we come back. Look at uh, the 1,200 special operation forces on the continent. Look at the diversity of that. And also, I'm interested in the issue of intelligence and uh, uh, effective border cooperation systems in place on the continent. Hey, what are your thoughts? Do you think that we need more support outside of the continent? Do you think we need these uh, uh, funds from the United States and this investment to actually come into the continent and actually and, and bring a training for us and what does that mean for Africa itself maybe you have thoughts like that maybe you're worried about that uh, give us your thoughts plus 277 uh, 9695-7930 is our SMS number plus 277 9695-7930 or tweet us at African Dialogue we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back Hello, listener. Join Channel Africa in celebrating its 50th anniversary. Channel Africa is turning 50 in May this year. Join us as we move through memories of this station since 1966. Send us your contact number to include your memories in our celebrations. 
Email your contact to info at channelafrica.org or write to us at Channel Africa PO Box 913103 Auckland Park, Johannesburg 2006. You can also SMS to plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yeah, you're with me, Benjamin Mushatama, right here on African Dialogue. And uh, today we're looking at uh, really security on uh, the continent, looking overall at what's happening on the continent. We haven't looked at security in a long while, so we thought, hey, let's come back to this theme and see how we can explore it. And we saw this report that says the United States is uh, proposing to actually... uh, $200 $200 million uh, of new military spending for North and West Africa. And also, there's a lot of questions of intention uh, that were questioned there by Ibrahim uh, Dean, who's the researcher from the Middle East Center. And also, we have Dr. Sylvester Maposa, who has really started looking at the idea that we should have more of a comprehensive approach when it comes to security on the continent. Now, we've got 1,200 special operation forces on the continent, Ibrahim. Him. Are they effective? I know some of them are not only on terms of uh, security support, but some of them are really there for also providing training, operating in drones and issues like that. But, you know, is this effective, this model of security that we've actually incorporated into the continent? Or should we be more creative and more uh, diverse in the way we're dealing with some of these issues? I mean, I think, you know, yes, you know, it, 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 it's good that you've noted that, you know, it's not just the, you know, the activities in the continent are not just special operation forces, but also some, you know, involved in training, some involved in drones. You know, they, they carry out, uh, as they say on the website, 675 operations a year, which is basically two operations a day. Uh, and a lot of it is very, you know, is veiled in the secrecy. That's one of the issues that we, mm-hmm. you know, we, I mean, as as from Lee Center, we, we recently brought down Nick Tuss, a person who has written a book on, you know, a U.S. African command. And, you know, the info in the book is totally different from what we get from African spokesperson and spokespeople. So we need to be very wary of this based on the on the secrecy of these, you know, on, on, on of, of these, these, these issues and these operations. And secondly, I think I agree with that, the fact that we need a much more diverse, a much more creative and a much more holistic approach. Because, you know, if we're just looking on the numbers itself and the numbers that AFRICOM provides us, in 2000, there was no militant organizations that threatened, that, that they argued had a global threat. In 2015, they've argued that it's now 50 organizations. So has what they've been doing or we've been doing working or do we need to look for alternatives? And, you know, based on these numbers and facts that's not, not, not provided by anyone else but, you know, the U.S. African Command, we need to change what we're doing because it's, it's, it's just not working. We need to find a different method of actually dealing with these threats. Mm. And, and I agree with our doctor who says we need to look at a more comprehensive approach. Mm. Uh, Dr. Silvastamaposa, your thoughts around uh, the various different types of operations on the continent, uh, and are they effective? Is it what we also need? That some, some people would say, that's the question, you know, do we need drones? Do we need those kind of operations taking place on the continent? Because there is a big uh, overarching conversation, especially when it comes to the... Um, 
integrity of some of these uh, operations that are being um, really enforced by uh, U.S. military as well. Some people are questioning even the way the U.S. does its military, especially when it comes to the question of drones. Well, I mean, there are many sides to uh, to this issue. One, uh, against the background of the African continent of uh, infrastructure uh, inadequacy in terms of funding our own programs. Um, it is therefore crucial for external international actors to come in with funds uh, so as to drive our, pro- our programs. If you know very well, for instance, that the African Union Peace Support Operations uh, uh, Division is largely supported by the EU and uh, by, the, by the US, mm. our own African governments do not have enough uh, financial resources to fund this. So therefore, we need external people to come in. Secondly, the contemporary problems that we face Mm. in the 21st century, they have no political boundaries or political territories. What is a problem here in South Africa is equally a problem in America, in France, in Russia. Um, Therefore, we need all actors, global actors, to come in together to address these problems. For instance, uh, this issue of climate change, it is mm. uh, influencing new forms of non-conventional armed conflict. Mm. And therefore, no one country uh, uh, can, can work on these problems alone. What may seem like, for instance, as sexually uh, uh, gender mm. and sexual-based uh, 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 violence mm. in the Diara Congo um, have links. It has links on issues of climate change. It has links on issues of natural resource exploitation. It has links to issues of uh, democracy and governance. Mm. So um, all actors are needed to come together and to fund these projects in various parts of the globe. Mm. Again, another area um, really which may be of concern is that the African um, states need not only to accept uh, these uh, externally funded programs as they are, but we need to put an emphasis on tailoring the funding of the programs, uh, Mm. their implementation Mm. to really suit the needs of the the local context. But really, Having so many special operations on the continent, it really also highlights the nature of uh, growing uh, challenges mm. on the continent. And mm. it also, remember when we had the Rwanda genocide, one of the outcries was that uh, the external people did not come in. People watched while the genocide went on. So now people come in and we are saying it's too much, I'm mm. sure we as a continent might be found wanting in terms of how how and what is it that we want in terms of uh, um, uh, subsidiarity. That, that means uh, in terms of uh, partnerships in peace operations. Mm-hmm. But really for me, uh, external support in building uh, uh, subsidiarity and partnership mm-hmm. in operations is very, very crucial mm-hmm. to address the nature of contemporaneous, of contemporary uh, uh, human security challenges. Ibrahim, your final sentiments, especially looking at that kind of issue that complements what Dr. Maposa is speaking about there, that effective border cooperation systems must be put in place and, and the fact that we also need a sharing of intelligence on the continent. 
I, I fully agree with Dr. Moposa in terms of the, you know, the fact that we do need better border coordination. We do need better, you know, intelligence sharing, uh, you know, among the African states. And, and, and you know, our, our, our issues about sovereignty have actually stopped us from, uh, from doing this, um, you know, much more better. I do, however, think that, you know, and we do need partnerships uh, with the international community mm. in assisting this. I just think that when these partnerships are there, as secret and as veiled, as they are, we need to be concerned mm. that you know that these partnerships, if they are so good for our continent, they must come out, and we must be able to scrutinize them mm. uh, and say, are they good for us? Are they not? If the partnerships, similar to like what the U.S. African Command is doing in the country, two operations a day, where we we not told about any of these operations, that secrecy actually means we need mm. to start being concerned. If the aid is developmental. Uh, if it's, uh, you know, in terms of intelligence sharing, uh, then it would be it would be very beneficial for us um, as a continent. I do think we also need to learn to pool our continental resources, uh, you know, the African solutions to African problems, and we need to uh, we need to begin uh, looking at things holistically, and uh, you know, ensuring that that this doesn't become a security issue, but mm-hmm. making it you know, changing it into a developmental issue. What can we do to root out the cause of militancy rather than just dealing with the symptom of militancy? Well, thank you, both of you, for giving us your time. Thank you to Ibrahim Dean, the the researcher from the Afro Middle East Center. Thank you for uh, joining us once again on our program. Uh, Thank you to Dr. Sylvester Maposa, who is the Chief Research Specialist, Governance and Security Program of the HSRC. I know that you're both busy and you have hectic schedules, but sometimes we need you guys to really uh, unpack some of these issues for us ordinary citizens. So we thank you for your time. Thank you, Benjamin. Thanks for having us. Thank you, listeners. Well, that's been an interesting conversation. Do you think that we need as much help from uh, outside countries such as the United States when it comes to security issues? Give us your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can tweet us at African Dialogue. Do you think that this is a good thing to have the United States proposing a two hundred million dollars of new military spending for North and West Africa? Well, uh, we're going to quickly have a break. Uh, one of my favorite songs are from uh, a great singer from South Africa. Very special, very popular in South Africa. This is Zahara. And this one is titled Imali. I love the song. <laughs>
That's the pop sensation, the Afro-pop sensation from South Africa, Zahara. I really love that song. I could write an essay on that song. It's such a fantastic song. It speaks on so many levels on what's happening in our world today. Hey, we're speaking about money. It's titled Imali. Let's move on to get our economics update from Misani Matibula. Thanks, Benjamin, and good morning. Malawi is expected to face a food shortage again during the next season if results of the first round of crop estimates are to go by. This after the Malawian government finalized the first round of 2015-2016 agriculture production estimate survey. George Mango reports from Blantyre. The results show that the national maize production is projected at 2.77 million metric tons, which is 2.0% lower than the 2014-2015 final round estimate of 2.78 million metric tons. Lilongwe says the first round estimate provides early warning signals on national food security, thereby advising policymakers to make informed decisions regarding the impending food situation. The DRC is threatening to open the world's second largest rainforest at New Industrial Logos, a tropical rainforest more than twice the size of France, is at risk of being cut down following news from the DRC that uh, the government is considering reopening its forest to new logging companies. This comes at a time when governments of Norway, France, Germany and the UK and the European Union are assessing whether to support a billion-dollar plan processed by the Congolese government to protect the country's 1.55 million square kilometers of forests. And Botswana could sell its troubled 600-megawatt Chinese-built power station after it suffered constant technical glitches since its launch in 2012. Botswana's Morupule B power station, built by the China National Electric Equipment Corporation at a cost of 970 million U.S. dollars, has often broken down, leading to reliance on diesel generators and imports from South Africa. The Minister of Minerals, Energy and Water Resources says there's been inquiries from two or three interested buyers, but no deal has been reached yet.
In Uganda, the country plans to build an oil pipeline from its fields to the Tanzanian coast, a move that could strike a blow to Kenya's bid to have a pipeline running from Uganda through Kenyan oil fields to its coastline. The Ugandan president's statement issued after Ugandan president Yoweri Museveni and his Tanzanian counterpart John Magufuli met on Tuesday did not mention the fate of the Kenyan oil export pipeline. Uganda, which has yet to start oil production, has raised the possibility of a Tanzanian pipeline route last year. And finally, back to South Africa, where the currency of South Africa, the rent, is trading steadily against the US dollar since Monday. The rent has been recovering after President Jacob Zuma said he supported Finance Minister Pravin Godan. This follows reports of a fallout between the two on Friday that sent the currency to its biggest daily loss since 2011. This is your Economics News. Hey, Fikzozo is here. Call him Fikzozo. He's our sports guy. Fikile Lingwati, he'll give us our sports. In our sports update, we're serving off with tennis news. The annual Davis Cup is upon us again. South Africa will take on Luxembourg at the Irene Country Club in Centurion from Friday at 10 a.m. Central African time. South African tennis often produces world-class juniors, but very few kick on to become successful professionals. This year, the South African team is led by Marcos Andruska, who says he's pleased to be the captain of a young team. I think that there is pressure. Uh, I'm trying to help these guys understand that, you know, it's more of a long-term thing that we're trying to build over here. You know, um, I'm, I'm confident these guys, they're a very talented group of young kids over here. I think it starts at the top, really. I think that if this Davis Cup team does really well and the players individually start doing really well, then I think that tennis become more prominent here in the forefront and in the media uh, and, and the kids will see that. And I think that brings a natural sort of uh, attraction to the sport. And wheelchair tennis South Africa's development manager Patrick Silepe and junior girls world number two Nogwanda Shongwani have been nominated in the upcoming 2015-2016 Houting School Sport Awards. Silepe has been nominated in the category Technical Official of the Year, while Shongwani is up for the LSN School Female Athlete of the Year Award. Wheelchair tennis South Africa's general manager Karen Lodge has congratulated the two on their nominations. It's obviously a great honor for us to be nominated in any of the categories. Um, the job, oh, I'm, well, really a minority sport. So to be recognized on such a national scale is really a great achievement for us as well as for the athletes um, and Patrick who have been nominated. And in football news, the Nigeria Football Federation and former international and national team coach Sunday Olise have traded insults following the latter's resignation. Olise quit on Thursday last week, blaming contract violations and unpaid wages. On its website, the NFF says it categorically denies the allegations and accuses Olise of not reciprocating the respect it showed him. Olise responded by saying that he felt he was not only playing against his opponent but also his own federation, especially the technical committee. 
I kind of like felt at times as if I was not only playing against my opponents, but as if I was playing against uh, members of my own federation, especially the technical committee. They are so obsessed with making the team deciding who plays and having a say on who the players are that are invited and all that. And I think no coach that is worth his salt would would allow somebody else to decide for him who plays and how the and who, who doesn't play when they are not responsible for the results that come out of it. And in athletics, half marathon record holder Zenasei Tadesi of Eritrea has joined Britain's Mo Farah and Kenya's reigning champion Jeffrey Kamwaror in an elite field for the World Championships in Cardiff on the 26th of March. A 34-year-old Tadesi has held a record of 58 minutes 23 seconds since March 2010 and will be chasing his 14th World Half Marathon Championship medal in a career haul that includes six golds. The Eritrean won four successive individual titles between 2006 and 2009 and took a fifth in 2012. And the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, says it would act on any evidence from French prosecutors who said they were investigating the bidding process for the Rio 2016 and Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games. Spokesperson Mark Adams says they will act on the evidence shown to them. The IOC had to clean itself up more than 15 years ago when an investigation ahead of the Salt Lake City 2002 Winter Olympics triggered the biggest corruption scandal involving IOC members. Ten of them resigned or were expelled in connection with the bribery and rules governing bids were tightened. Finally, with golf news, the two leading players in women's golf say they remain concerned about the Zika virus as they looked forward to their sport debuting at the Brazil Olympics this year. A growing number of international athletes in recent weeks have said they are concerned about Zika, a virus that has been linked in Brazil to more than 4,000 suspected cases of microcephaly, a rare condition that causes abnormally small heads in infants and can lead to developmental problems. And that's your Sport News this hour. Well, that's how we wrap it up. Give us your thoughts on today's discussion, plus 2779-695-7930. Remember, this is African Dialogue, so you can go to our Twitter handle, at African Dialogue, and give us your thoughts about what you thought about our uh, topics today, and maybe what you think about the show. Hey, we want to get a response from you. It's always good hearing you, because this is about you. It's your show. African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Remember, you can also interact with us on our Twitter Twitter at Channel Africa One. Don't forget our email info at channelafrica.org. So many, so many, so many ways that you can get hold of us. So do do that. But until tomorrow, God bless.